This is On Life, A Unified Heterogeneity with Jamie Sinclair, Episode 5. In today's episode, uh, I won't be addressing any specific questions that have come in for the podcast this week. I really want to continue with a thought from last week and just speaking to some topics that are certainly prominent in the national discussion today, but often the, the, the basics aren't clarified, and so it can lead to poor thinking. Whenever we talk about things, it's important to define our terms. I've, I've seen a lot of talking past one another. I've seen a, a lot of phrases that two people might both say but mean different things with them, and, and so it's important to be precise. So let's start with this question. What is racism? I've seen it used so broadly today, I don't even know what people exactly mean when I hear the term. And so I just want to put out a couple of definitions that I think are helpful and appropriate. I would encourage you, uh, don't assume everybody means what I'm going to define racism as when they see race, when you hear racism. But if you have a conversation with somebody about racism, I would encourage you define the terms. I think these are helpful definitions. I think these get at what racism has meant generally and even still means to most people at some level, uh, it's just become more and more broad and ambiguous over time for whatever reason. So racism, what is it? Well, firstly, I think there's a, a strong form of racism. It's kind of the classic just malicious hate considering a group of persons inferior in dignity or value based on their race. Uh, you see this with, uh, certainly you see this historically with the way slavery was practiced in the Americas. You see it through Jim Crow. You see it today in, in white supremacist and white nationalist movements. You see it in the, the black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, I've interacted with very few persons who have demonstrated or expressed strong racism, a, a malicious hate towards a group of people considering them inferior in dignity or value because of their race, but I have encountered it. I was actually on the streets of Rochester, New York a couple of years ago with some friends, and I en encountered a, a few guys on the street. They were like dressed in robes. They looked real biblical. I, I was quite intrigued. I love uh, meeting people with different perspectives and experiences, so I went over to talk to them, and they were like, shouting scripture in a very belligerent and an and aggressive way. Uh, they were not friendly towards me. I began engaging them in conversation. And very quickly, it became apparent that, I don't know if you're familiar with Black Hebrew Israelites, they are uh, extremely racist. They were also extremely misogynistic. Um, I was with some friends. I encouraged my friends to, to continue along because, uh, you know, it, it, it can be pretty... Uh, uh, offensive and difficult to be around people who are so obviously spewing hatred. Um, I tend to be a little bit robotic. And so I was just intrigued. They, they literally told me to my face, I'm less human than a spider. Uh, it, it was really, it was an interesting conversation. We probably talked for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And I was, I was trying to uh, reference scripture because they were using the Bible. I was trying to reference scripture to, to show them how their ideas are clearly not biblical, clearly not loving, clearly rebellious towards the Lord. Unfortunately, they were not reasonable, so I left after a period of time. It was a super interesting experience. And the reality is this, there is, there has been throughout human history, 
just this this strong racism, a malicious hatred towards groups of persons and considering them inferior in dignity or value because of their race. And it still exists today. Uh, I, I saw an interview, I think it was a video clip from maybe the late 80s, but Oprah Winfrey was uh, dialoguing with a group of white white supremacists or white nationalists, pretty similar, although that there are some distinctions between the two, but both are clearly uh, racists. And firstly, props to Oprah Winfrey. She is, I don't know her super well. I know she's obviously been massively successful in her career. And watching this video, I realized, okay, I understand a little bit of why. She was uh, so so good at communicating with people and and so uh, she, she was very impressive in the dialogue but it was also horrifying um to to see such hatred and such bigotry and man it's tragic and that, that was just a few decades ago and certainly it still exists in the united states today I, i'm not unaware of this reality um, i would also say that there is a racism that's maybe a little bit more common and broad uh, I, I might call it even like a, a softer form of racism because I think w usually when we think racism, we think of that like hatred type thing. Uh, but there is a racism that that is a, a, a prejudicial or um, a set of unfounded assumptions. It's making assumptions about someone's character, thinking, or behavior based solely on their race. And I realize why this might not be as actively like a malicious hatred. It really is not loving them well. Um Assuming something about someone, uh, their education, their criminality, their friendliness, or anything else based simply on their race is abhorrent. Um, by the way, this includes assuming who someone will vote for. Uh, there was recently in the news uh, a clip where uh, a prominent political figure assumed they knew who black Americans would vote for for president. And that's racist. Uh, it, it's a softer way. I don't think there was like malicious hatred involved, but that really is not loving well it's it's base, it's arrogant, it's thoughtless, it's not loving well. We're called to love. Now, an important note, uh, this malicious hatred, that kind of thing, it can also be expressed towards groups not on the basis of race. Uh, prejudicial thinking, having unfounded assumptions about people, it can, again, be expressed not simply on the, the basis of race. Uh, there are times where I've looked down on people because of opinions they've held or uh, ways they've looked, not racial, but just even the way somebody dresses. You can almost assume things about them. That's not loving. Uh, Lord, help me. Forgive me where I've sinned. Uh, we can also be hateful towards even people who have legitimately done terrible things, but we're called to love, even love our enemies. It's easy to make assumptions about people. Um, I've, I've, hopefully I've grown over the years. You know, I, I remember, you know, years ago you meet somebody at a gathering of Christians, maybe they're new to the area, say they're from Virginia. And, and a few years ago, I might've said like, Hey, what church were you part of in Virginia? Well, I've learned not everybody was necessarily part of a church in Virginia. And I don't want to assume that about somebody. So I might ask, Hey, do you have any prior church experiences or what's your faith background? Like, it's great to ask questions. There's nothing wrong with certainly uh, appreciating statistical likelihoods. You know, if I meet somebody from, oh, if I meet somebody from China, I might ask them if they enjoy swimming or ping pong or basketball. I probably won't initially ask them about American football, but I hopefully will not assume things about them. 
I might ask things just out of like, oh, there's a good chance we can find some sort of commonality here or something to talk about. That's part of loving somebody. But it would also be not particularly loving, be a little bit self-centered, a little bit uh, presumptuous, a little bit thoughtless, arrogant to just assume things about someone because of the way they look or or really assuming people things about people. I, I just don't think love assumes stuff about people. It, love pursues knowing somebody and finding out who they are. Lord, deliver us from our own sin. Uh, it's easy to hate. We're broken people and we can hate. It's easy to be thoughtless and make assumptions. Lord, help us to love well. So that's how I'd, I would define kind of a, a strong form of racism and, and then a soft form of racism. Strong form is, is hating and devaluing because of race. And, and, and soft racism is really just making assumptions about someone simply because of the color of their skin. Okay, that kind of leads us to what is race. I just talked about the, the color of skin, but the word race really means a group of persons descended in the same familial line or with a common ancestor. The group, the word race can be applied to uh, a surname, like the Sinclair race, or or a relatively specific ethnicity, like the Scottish race, or Italian race, or Igbo race. Um, it can also, by the way, be used to refer to the human race. Think about it for a moment. We are one big family. We all have the same parents, ultimately, the same common ancestors, Adam and Eve. And in fact, you can see it in all of our DNA. Um, the, the mitochondria in, in the cell, It there, there's, I don't know the exact biology about it. Google it if you want to be an expert. But there's actually some genes carried in the mitochondrial RNA maybe, I can't, or DNA for the mitochondria uh, that is transferred from mother to child. And so you can look at all of humans and there's some shared DNA and it points back to a single, it's a, the, the person is called the mitochondrial Eve. Google it, mitochondrial Eve. And so yeah, biology points to the reality that we all are descended from one woman ultimately. And uh, we are one big diverse family, the human race. And your value is not determined by your height or your skin color or your disabilities or your musicality or your athleticism or your IQ or emotional resilience or sense of humor, really anything else. You are valuable because you are a human being made in the image of God. Every single person is valuable. So valuable that even though every one of us has made mistakes, we've sinned. We've fallen short of God's call for us. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt the people around us. Jesus has embraced suffering and pursued us even to the point of dying on the cross so that you and I might be forgiven, so that we might walk in newness of life, that we might be able to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. And that is good news. That is the gospel. And, and ultimately, the gospel is the answer to all our sin, including malicious hatred, that we see in strong racism, including the, the thoughtlessness and arrogance we see in soft racism, uh, the gospel is the answer. May we call sin, sin. May we call men and women to repentance. And may we receive the grace of God so generously lavished upon us. Now, certainly there are genuine phenotypical differences between persons. Uh, there are short persons and tall persons, brown-eyed persons, blue-eyed persons, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, however, taking any of these kinds of categories and, and devaluing someone or assuming things about somebody because of them, 
That's not loving well. That might even be malicious hatred. And, and as I see race in the United States, racial divisions in the United States, I, I see it's, it's really, it's largely a social construct based on fairly crass or uh, cursory or I'm trying to think of a normal word, um, brief and, and not very thoughtful and precise phenotypical observations. It's not helpful, thoughtful notes regarding human diversity. It's painting with massively broad strokes, mostly for the purpose of racism. Case in point, take President Barack Obama. Is he white or black? Most of us uh, immediately were like, oh, he was, he's black. Well, he has a, a black father, a, a, a dark-skinned man from Kenya, and he has a white mother, a fair-skinned woman from... I think the middle of America, I know they grew up in Hawaii or Obama did, but I, I think his mom may have been from Kansas. I'm actually blanking right now. But the, but the point is, uh, if it was simply about your familial line, then he is equally white and black or Kenyan and whatever his mom is. I don't know if she was like German or Italian, whatever. Like, but, but the point is, in America, he's black because we really, the, the way we define race is not really about your your family lineage it's about a really crass phenotypical observation and it's been painted like that really uh, because of racist purposes in the united states over time um if somebody is you know through 75% irish and then 25% kenyan we would generally just call them black because the racism, the, the, seeing, the white supremacy that's defined a lot of uh, American history would say they've been corrupted or they're unclean somehow. You know, it's the classic, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, but it's the, the leaven in this case is not sin or something unclean. It's, it's somebody you see as inferior because you're, you're walking in this malicious hatred, this, this sinful... Uh, Rebellion towards God and rejecting the reality that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve created in God's image and equally deserving of, of dignity because God has called us valuable. So uh, you see how that works. And, and Michelle Obama, she's actually, she's, I think, a large percentage. Uh, her, her ancestors were black, but there's actually a white ancestor in there, probably sinful relationship in itself, but we don't know exactly. But the point is, the way we use race today in America is, is a pretty crass and broad strokes, largely because of the purpose of racism. And, and so I don't particularly like, I, I'm obviously not opposed to observing some people are tall and some people are short and some people are dark skinned and some people are light skinned. Obviously, that's just a fact. And I'm fine observing that. And I'm even fine talking about that with somebody that I'm uh, you know, part of loving somebody well might be you have an especially fair-skinned friend. Maybe bring some sunscreen for him when you go to the beach or whatever. Like that—that's not uh, racist. It's just thinking like, oh, you—you you may well need this. Now, if you assume, think that would not be particularly loving well. But if you're like, hey, I'm just prepped because they might. Uh, that's just being thoughtful towards somebody. If somebody's shorter than me and trying to reach something tall, I might be like, oh, hey, can I give you a hand? That's not be me being like heightest or tallest or shortest or whatever you want to call that. That's just me recognizing I'm six feet tall and maybe I can reach something they cannot reach and me just helping and, and loving well. But when it turns into some sort of 
devaluing of a different group or may even making assumptions simply based on some sort of phenotypical uh, expression, uh, that's just, that's gross. It, it's either hateful or at least unloving. And Jesus calls us to something better. Strong racism is sin. Considering a group of persons inferior in dignity or value based on the amount of melanin in their skin is abhorrent. This defies the reality that we all are descendants of Adam and Eve and created in the image of God. This is rebellion against our creator. Soft racism is sin. Making assumptions about someone's character based solely on the amount of melanin in their skin is not loving them well. It's missing the mark to which we've been called. Jesus has commanded us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we've defined some terms. We've talked about what racism is. We've talked about what race is. I want to take a moment and talk about racism even in uh, American Christianity. And by that, I mean born-again believers here in the United States over the past few hundred years. Um, the United States has a history that's been massively impact, impacted by large-scale, strong racism. And today we continue to live in a society riddled by racism. Um, I, I think the, the, the strong, straight-up, you know, black supremacy or white supremacy is a fairly minority view in my experience, but I still see that soft racism of just assumptions about people that really is not loving, that really is a, a kind of arrogance and self-centeredness, and it's just gross, and we can grow. Uh, this is a human problem. People are born to sin, but we should call sin, sin, and call people to repentance. Sadly, Christians can be racist too. Uh, there is a famous study Bible that I think people even refer to still today, written by Schofield. I don't remember Schofield's full name. Um, Schofield briefly fought for the Confederacy in the American Civil War. Uh, he was pretty young, though. He lived for a while. He, he published a study Bible in 1909. I believe he was a minister at that point. And uh, in his study notes on Genesis chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, where it talks about uh, Ham and his descendants, he said, it's a prophetic declaration is made that from Ham will descend an inferior and servile posterity. And by that, he's referring to the the African race, one might say. And so he's basically saying, literally, there's a group of people defined by their ethnicity, their skin color. They are inferior and servile. That is not biblical. It's sickening. And, and so that's certainly part of the history in American Christianity. And there's definitely still racism today. And when I see it, it it grieves me. It's so missing the heart of God that loves people, regardless of, of their economic output or regardless of their education or regardless of what they look like or regardless of what, like, man, People are valuable, not because of their economic output, but because they are made in the image of God. You know, one place that um, we see th this really strong form of racism, even uh, manifesting in the church within the past few decades, and, and even I've encountered people considering this kind of thinking even the past few years, uh, people who are opposed to interracial marriage. 
I've encountered it. I know others have encountered it. So I want to talk for a moment about interracial marriage. What does the Bible say about race? What is the Bible? Is there some sort of uh, distinction and uh, separation that we're called to maintain? Short answer is no. Short answer is no. Interracial marriage is perfectly fine because really this this racial thing, again, we're the human race. Uh, but I want to talk about it for a moment because I want to dive into some Bible in these conversations. I've seen a ton of conversations the past few weeks and they're kind of light on Bible. I'm like, let's get a little heavier on Bible as the church of God. So in Genesis chapter 10, we see the family records of Noah and, and Noah's sons. Uh, so if, for those of you who are, who are not super familiar with this part of the Bible, um, we're all descended from Adam and Eve, but there was a, a, a massive moment of judgment that we find in, I think it's like Genesis 7 through 9, that range, uh, where we read about the flood account and, and God saves Noah and his family on the ark. And so in some ways, although we're all descended from Adam and Eve, there's kind of a, a bit of a reset with Noah and his family. It says this, Genesis 10 verse 1. These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood, Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javon, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus, and Gomer's sons, and he continues on, just the, the lineages, right? 10, 32, verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their family records in their nations. The nations on earth spread out from these after the flood. So we see the spreading of the nations. In Genesis 1, 11, excuse me, we read about the, the uh, Tower of Babel or Babylon. Genesis 11, verse 8, uh, people came together in, in, in rebellious arrogance and they said, we're going to build a tower to the, to the heavens. Uh, and, and the Lord uh, thwarted their efforts. And it says this in Genesis 11, 8. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon, for the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. So there's this, this observation that as, as the descendants, uh, as people married and had children, they married and had children, there, there's a, a, an establishment of various peoples. You could say there's the you know, Adamic race. We're all part of that. There's no Noah, Noahic, Noahic, Noahic race from Noah. Uh, but then you could say there's the, Shemeth race and Hamath race and Japheth race. I don't know how to say these as uh, possessive, but like you see these these various nations, and and it says the Lord scattered them. And part of that scattering was as a result of uh, creating Babylon or the Tower of Babel. And but in this, there's no indication that marriages between peoples is sinful. It's just recognizing there's these various family units, these various peoples, these nations is the word the Bible uses. But you could translate it races. Uh, simply it, it, God was purposing to thwart a specific unity for sinful purposes among the totality of the human race. And he spread humanity throughout the globe. Uh, thus we have many peoples. Now, a quick note on peoples or nations or races, whatever you want to say here in Genesis 12, God is covenanting with Abram, uh, later known as Abraham. God changes his name. And he says this in Genesis 12, verse three. <clears throat> And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's purpose to Abraham 
was that all the peoples, all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues, all the races will be blessed through him. God's purpose was not to curse the peoples of the earth, but to bless because the peoples of the earth are all part of the human race, all created in the image of God. And God's purpose was to redeem. Um, we see this ultimately realized through the seed of Abram. On his, in his lineage, we see Jesus Christ. Now, what we do find in a few places in the Old Testament is instructions not to intermarry with persons from other nations. It's like, whoa, is this a prohibition on interracial marriage? Well, let's read. Deuteronomy chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and he drives out many nations before you, the Hethites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and powerful than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them, and you must not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will swiftly destroy you. So this, you, you could see this as a prohibition on some sort of, we would call them probably all the same race. They're probably all about the same shade of skin, but they're different peoples or nations, or you could say different races, kind of like the difference between the, the Celtic race and the uh, Britain race or something, uh, British. Uh, so, so like you could, you could have these differentiations still, but God is not against interracial marriage here. This prohibition is clearly given a purpose. He says, you must not intermarry with them. Why? Verse four, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. He doesn't say because they're an inferior group of persons who were created to be servile or because they they have less dignity or they're, they're not created in the image of God. His rationale was because you're, you're the people of God. And they're going to pull you away to paganism. In fact, we see examples of interracial, interracial marriage among the people of God, and it's a blessed thing. Um, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron criticize Moses. These are Moses' uh, sister and brother. They criticize him. It says this, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Okay, you might be like, okay, who are the Cushites? Well, the Cushites are not... Hebrews. So this is already, you see, oh, it, this is between two different peoples, two different nations, two different races, whatever kind of terminology you want to use. Now, in, in fact, though, not only was this two different peoples, but from the crass modern American notion of race, this was literally two different races. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, asking a rhetorical question, Jeremiah says, can the Cushite change his skin? Why does he ask that? Well, Cushite means, the, the word Cush literally means black. And it, it refers to, the Cush is a, a region south of Ethiopia and in Africa. And so the Cushites were actually a, a dark-skinned people, uh, like Ethiopians or, or, or Kenyans. Um, obviously, we don't have a picture of her, but we see in Jeremiah 13, 23, it observes that, that there's something maybe a little different between the Cushite skin and the Middle Eastern skin. And Miriam and Aaron criticized Mo Moses because of the Cushite woman he married. Now, it doesn't say exactly why. It doesn't say that they were like opposed to her race. But we see that Mer Moses married somebody of a different, what we would call race. And God's response when they criticized his, that marriage in Numbers chapter 12, this is 10 verses later. So verse 1 talks about the criticism. In Numbers 12 verse 10, God calls Miriam and Aaron into his presence. 
And it says this, as the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, my Lord, please don't hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Now, again, we do not know if their criticism had anything to do with race, but isn't it ironic here that they were criticizing Moses marrying a woman who was a Cushite, who is dark skinned, and the consequence, the, the, the curse that Miriam temporarily bore in her skin was she became white, white as snow, but it was diseased. It was a leprosy. It was, it was a, a, a rotting of the flesh. And so, uh, again, I, I, I don't know if any of this literally has anything to do with skin color, but it, the irony is thick. And clearly, God Moses' marriage to this Cushite woman, which we would see as an interracial marriage, and it was certainly a marriage between peoples, God defended and had blessed. Rahab. We find a woman in the book of Joshua. She is a Canaanite woman. She is not a Hebrew. She was living in Jericho. Sorry, I'm doing this like some of this off the top of my head. I have some notes for what I'm saying, but I also have some stuff that I just kind of assume I'll remember, like Rahab was from Jericho, but it's harder when you're on recording to actually remember it. And no, I don't do like editing of this. So voila, here it is. So Rahab, she was a Canaanite woman. Uh, she was actually a prostitute, um, but she responded in faith. Long story short, she responded in faith, and not only did she marry Joshua, the leader of the Hebrew people or the Jewish people, she ends up in Jesus' lineage. Uh, a little while later, and by a little while later, I mean a long while later, uh, Ruth was a Moabite woman, a Moabitess. She responded in faith. Powerful story. You should go read about Ruth. It's, it's, it's epic. But she responded in faith, and she married a Jewish man or a Hebrew man. And not only was that marriage perfectly appropriate, she is part of Jesus' lineage. God was like blessing and using these, what we would call interracial marriages. So no, there were were some prohibitions on marrying with other peoples at times and places in the Old Testament, but it wasn't a race thing. It was a, you're the people of God. And so when this Moabite woman responded in faith, when this Canaanite woman responded in faith, uh, when this Cushite woman was Moses' wife, uh, like God defended and even blessed and used those marriages, uh, a couple of them being in the lineage of Jesus. In the New Testament, what we see, one of the things we see is that the gospel breaks down racial division. Jesus was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. All, all the apostles were Jews. All of the early Christians were Jews. Even the Christians who lived in other uh, geopolitical territories, there were a number who were back for, what was that holiday, Pentecost, who get saved in Acts chapter 2. Like hundreds or even thousands from potentially places beyond Jerusalem. 3,000 people got saved that day. We don't know exactly how many from various regions, like Phrygia and such. But like they were, they were Jews. And it was kind of a revelation and really required some breakthrough because there was so, you see, in the Old Testament, the people of God was largely synonymous with an ethnic people. It was the Jewish people. And so, again, you see some of these prohibitions that almost sound like an, an, an ethnic thing, but it was really about the people of God thing. But there was so much overlap at times it was confusing. And in the early church, there continued to be this sense of Jesus came to save Jews. But there's a revelation that we see in Acts chapter 10 where uh, the Lord revealed to the apostle Peter that, no, the gospel is for both Jew 
and Greek. And and an Italian guy named Cornelius and his family got saved. They get saved in Acts 10. And then in Acts 11, we see the church at Antioch and we see Jews and, and Gentile believers worshiping together. And that's where they're first called Christians. And we, we see the gospel going forward amongst both Jews and Gentiles. And it's beautiful, but there's a problem that arises again and again and again in the early church. There was the sense that, yeah, the gospel's for everybody, but the Jewish believers, they're like, First class, the rest of y'all, you're in coach, you're in economy. Like there, there was this sense of superiority, looking down on people because of their ethnicity or their race and saying like, yeah, yeah, you're saved, but you're second class. You have an inferior dignity or value in the eyes of God. And that is strong racism. And that we see clearly condemned in scripture. In Galatians chapter three, verses 27 to 29, the apostle Paul writes, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. He's saying the gospel breaks down these divisions. He's not saying that there's no longer males and females or even various ethnicities like Jews and Greeks uh, or states and status and state positions in, in the world like slaves slaves and freemen. Um, obviously, those things exist. But he's saying in Jesus, you guys are just children of God, created in the image of God. You all belong to Christ. You, you are like heirs, co-equal, co like ev we are equal, not on the basis of whether we're Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. We are equal in that we are created in the image of God. We are children of God. We are loved by God. We are valued by God. The gospel breaks down these divisions. The, the divide that we see in the Old Testament that at times maybe seems like an ethnic divide or a national divide, it's not really between ethnicities. Even in Deuteronomy 7, we saw that the rationale was because they'll, they'll pull you away into paganism. It's about the people of God and unbelievers. To the extent that you might say there are two races biblically, it's not Jew and Greek. It's people of God and unbelievers. And I don't think there's any need to obsess about that as like a racial thing. But I don't know if my point makes sense. Hopefully it does. Um, and, and, and this, this uh, admonition, it continues today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, at the end of that verse, Paul's talking and he's giving some advice on marriage and what should widows do and answering a number of questions. And he says this, if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants. And then he adds this phrase, only in the Lord. She's like, yeah, obviously marry within the faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And so, so yeah, there's still a, a distinction, but the distinction is not about ethnicity. It's not about nation. It's not about race. It's about believers and unbelievers. And yet let marry within the faith. Hopefully that makes sense and is helpful. Okay, so it might seem like I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'm, I'm trying to bring some precision, some good thinking, some biblical thinking. And there's one specific thing I want to address that has to do with the whole defining of terms and, and using precision in our conversation, because I am seeing people speaking past one another. There is a phrase that is commonly used right now, and that phrase is Black Lives Matter. 
I 100% agree with that phrase. Like, yes, black lives matter. And yes, tall lives matter. And yes, like 100% agree with that phrase. And I even like agree with some of the specifics that um, that phrase might be loaded with, but it's a loaded phrase. And, and there's a reason that people might be mm, hesitant to use the phrase, even though they agree with the fa- phrase on its face. Uh, f- phrases can mean more than the, the, the like the words in them, kind of like the, the sum of those words in a certain order can mean something in a culture, just like I- idioms have meaning. Just a simple example within the same exact little scenario, all lives matter. Yeah, I agree with that. I would hope all of us agree with that phrase. I don't say that phrase. It's kind of a loaded phrase because part of that phrase, it's used in response to the phrase Black Lives Matter in a way that they're often talking past each other. They can be loaded with things I don't want to be associated with. I certainly agree with both phrases on their face, but but I'm hesitant to use either or, or Blue Lives Matter. Th- these are loaded phrases. And I hope that makes sense. And so if I'm talking to somebody, I know exactly what the phrase black lives matter means to them or all lives matters or police lives matter. I may well use one of those phrases, but generally speaking, I'm going to avoid it because I want to say what I mean to say and saying those phrases. I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying necessarily. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some people say, Oh, well, black lives matter just means, um, you know, if, if you go to a breast cancer awareness walk or fundraiser, do you say all cancers matter? If you, if you go to, uh, you know, when you're talking about the forest and somebody says, let's save the Amazon, do you say all forests matter? Yeah, but but that's talking past. Because the thing is this, the phrase Black Lives Matter can be like, hey, we need, we need to see justice for George Floyd. And I say, amen. If that's what the phrase all lives or Black Lives Matter means, I will say Black Lives Matter. But, but the phrase Black Lives Matter can mean other things too. Go to blacklivesmatter.com and then click, uh, let me go to the website real quick. I can't remember what the the phrases blacklivesmatter.com i go to the about and then what we believe section and you'll find some stuff that you're like oh this is what some people mean when they say black lives matter and i do not believe that you know when you say black lives matter uh according to their website it can mean It can mean, uh, literally, this is a statement on the blacklivesmatter.com what we believe page. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that are collectively, that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Hey, I'm totally a fan of being a part of a community that's loving and serving and investing in each other. But the notion of nuclear family, the notion that uh, God's design is for there to be a father and a mother, and they have a responsibility and a special grace to, to, to raise and lead and, and train their children, that's not just some sort of like modern Western notion. That's Bible. Uh, now, now, I do think some of the modern Western notice, notion is uh, way too much leans into independence and I do what I want, uh, and that, that's sinful and that's arrogant and and like yeah i'm a hundred percent in in favor of recognizing we need to be part of community and submitted to wisdom but no there's a unique and special uh purpose that god has for parents and they literally are saying we disrupt the western prescribed nuclear family structure like uh by nuclear family if you mean that like parents have children and they have a special 
uh, not only like a special opportunity, but they have like a mandate, a God-given mandate to invest in and to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If you're rejecting that, if that's what Black Lives Matter means, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that phrase. Uh, again, it, it's a loaded phrase. Uh, and there's there's other stuff on this page. It's it's long. Um, that they're they're definitely they include gender and sex sexual issues that defy God's design that are quite troubling. And the point is that the phrase can get loaded. And so the key is this. This is I'm kind of like ending this where I began. It's really important to define terms because I'm seeing friends who are upset that. Uh, Many of their friends aren't proclaiming the phrase Black Lives Matter. And they're like, are you racist? Do you not love black people? I'm like, no, I love black people. I love white people. I like, like again, yeah, and I see some of these crimes and I want justice for George Floyd. Like, no, but I'm also pro moms and dads having a special mandate from the Lord to invest in their families. And that phrase, Black Lives Matter, it can mean a lot of things. It can, it's now becoming more and more synonymous with defund police. Even that phrase, it's kind of like, what does that mean? If that means reform, yeah. If that means even radical reform, I'm open. If it means abolishing police, eh, I'm theoretically open, although most likely a no. But I'm I'm like super open to topics, but I'm not championing uh I'm I'm, I'm not championing abolishing police. That's a hundred percent for sure. Uh I'm open to conversation because I'm always open to conversation. Uh I am championing reform, but which reforms? I, again, it's 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 this vague phrase, and I'm like, I'm I'm hesitant. I want to know what you mean by that first. And depending on what you mean, I may or may not say it. Uh, and so I just want to encourage good thinking. I see so much just groupthink and going along with with the crowd, but but it's these vague, loaded phrases that mean different things to different people. That's not good thinking. That's, not, that's irresponsible, really, at best. Um, I'm certainly not opposed to somebody saying it, but I'm not going to say something unless I feel like I know exactly what it means to the people that are hearing it. Uh, Obviously, it's impossible to ensure everyone always understands you, but you have some responsibility to work hard to be understood. It's part of loving the people around you. It's part of honoring God. And so big point, define your terms. Define your terms. If you're talking in a conversation space where there are ambiguous or equivocal phrases and words, define them. Don't just get in arguments where you guys might be thinking different things by the same phrase or word. Uh, most people who defend the phrase Black Lives Matter are talking past the people who are uncomfortable with the phrase. Uh, and most people who are using the phrase All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter are misunderstanding what some people mean when they say Black Lives Matter. Might be even saying some things they don't intend to say because, again, loaded phrases. And so it's, it's really important to define our terms. Okay, hey, I'm gonna wrap things up for now. Let's think well, let's think biblically, let's think well and steward these gifts for the glory of God. Peace. P.S. If somebody uses a phrase like Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, talk to them. Don't just assume you know what they mean. Don't assume other things about them just because they use the phrase that's falling into the same exact sin and pitfalls of soft racism. Love people, seek to understand people especially the people that God's placed in your lives. Uh, even if you end up having strong political disagreements and disagreements about policy reforms and uh, whatever, th those are just political disagreements. 
we can still love people and get along with people and even brothers and sisters in Christ be united in the gospel, even with significant uh, political differences and even with some significant theological differences. Uh, we can still love each other and serve with one another and bless one another. One of the things I've been thinking about recently is when Jesus said, by this they will know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. And thinking how in this moment of uh, confusion and controversy and polarization, can the people of God, even the people of God with maybe some big differences on some of these perspectives uh, re- regarding like what's what's happening and how to move forward in a better way, how powerful would it be if our love in the midst of this is like what's flowing out of us? Man, the people around us that that like God's stirring their hearts, they will think nothing explains this except they are the people of God. Amen.